0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
1: Ringgit and Cents on BFM 89.9 the business station. Good morning, you're tuned in to Ringgit and Sense, the show all about personal finance and I'm Sim Boon. Throughout the past few months, we've been exploring here on Ringgit and Sense some episodes on how relationships and money coexist. We talked about how money and how it impacts couples who have just started dating. We talked about how much it would cost to get married and also um, the financial considerations to make when you are married. But what if the relationship didn't work out the way you thought it might and now you're considering it divorce with your partner. In fact, according to the government in 2021, almost 78,000 divorces were recorded nationwide with a total of 10,346 divorces involving non-Muslim couples while 66,444 cases involve Muslims up until 2021. And while this is a scenario that most of us try not to think about, the implications can be very real and very bad, especially the financial ones if not thought through. Joining me to discuss this is Rosanna Rashid She's a licensed financial planner and a director with Alpine Advisory. Good morning, Rosanna, and welcome to the show. I want to begin with this. Um, through your experience as a financial planner, I'm sure you've spoken to a lot of clients. How does money, money negatively impact a relationship? And you know what, what really causes it to reach this endpoint and cause couples to consider divorce?
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, personally speaking, I can speak uh, with some experience uh, based on uh, some clients and of course, uh, friends of mine that have, uh, you know, uh, gone through this uh, process, uh, unfortunately. And most of it I've seen within clients and friends is money actually can ruin relationships, especially if it's not handled well. Right. So, so, some of the things that I've observed, a lot of them it actually roots from few of it, I would say. One of it is uh, financial infidelity. You know, this is what I've seen when maybe either spouse could be dishonest about how money is being gained and most importantly, how it's been spent, right, uh, within the home and for the family. When you're hiding certain things, especially if it's, uh, you know, financial transactions. Uh, away from your spouse, you know, this in a way could also undermine trust and inter- interdependence between the, the two people, the spouse, the spouses, you know. So if you're not keeping their clear lines of communication open and honest about how the money of the in the household is being used, you know, this could lead to financial strain. And of course, frustrations. The other thing that I've observed is really also sometimes about debt. You may come into, into a relationship where one party may have a bigger debt in terms of credit cards, personal loans, or even housing loans. One, one side of the couple may not like the idea of every penny that has been thrown in, that's earned, is going into the loan. And the other party could be relaxed about it and not putting too much emphasis or whatsoever. So it's also having difference of goals between the two and if that is not being sort of out earlier especially at the start or before getting married this, this could be a rocky start and uh, this financial strain is not going to be healthy and that could be the root of uh, you know leading to the D word
1: right so when a couple considers it a divorce, right? I mean, apart from having the, the tough conversations that might have led to that decision, I think the next aspect to think about is actually how much it would cost because it's not just uh, we want to do a divorce and that's it, right? There are, there's more, there's much more complicated than, and we'll, we'll get to all the rest of it. But I think generally, I think the first one we want to know is like, how much do divorce procedures really cost in Malaysia? And uh, if you have some insights on the process, like maybe you can share with the listeners.
0: So normally we would normally get them, you know, to speak to family lawyer, Sharia lawyer for Muslims, right? But from what I gather, uh, basically, if if the type of divorce is uncontested, i.e., uh, both parties, husband and wife, are mutual, they have a mutual consent to to divorce. So this joint petition, which is called uh, in the law, uh, it takes, I think, it may cost between uh, three thousand to six thousand. Uh, that's that's for the mutual consent. As for contested divorces, obviously it gets more complicated, especially if there's uh, a lot to be contesting about uh, when it comes to you know uh, financial matters or even custody of the kids and other assets involved. So that that could be in the tune of minimum of at least five, six thousand to you know six figures. also depends on the experience of the lawyer and how long it takes. Obviously, the contested or uh, divorce is, it's gonna take longer, and obviously the legal fees itself uh, is gonna be very can be very expensive.
1: How different is that in terms of a conventional divorce in a a divorce in, in an Islamic perspective, and also is there a cost difference as well?
0: Okay, so uh, so divorce in Malaysia, yes, uh, you, you have them for the non-Muslims and the Muslims, right? So the non-Muslims typically either party can technically file for divorce, or if it's a uh, both uh, unilateral, you know, they can go together go go consult a lawyer if they if they need to, um, and then file in the papers and the paperwork uh, to the high court after the paperwork for the divorce petitions is signed, you know, then they have to wait for the hearing date from the court and then attend the hearing and then obtain the cert after, you know, a few months uh, after the divorce orders granted by the gu- uh, by the judge. So so that's a typical like a uh, non-Muslim sort of route to start. Uh, whereas for the Muslim side technically you have to go to the Sharia courts a bit more to consider in the sense that normally I mean there are a few ways I would say uh, to summarize how a Muslim gets a divorce so the most common method of divorce is usually it's the husband that has to say the talak to the wife so normally this this is normally done normally at the uh, Sharia court as well um, so that that's that's probably the most common and straightforward for a Muslim to to end the marriage, right? So, uh, of course, there are fees involved, Sharia lawyer fees, like you do for the other route of going to the high court lawyers.
1: Does this mean that a lawyer is needed or can you actually go through a divorce without a lawyer?
0: I know someone that actually went through uh, the process without having a need of the lawyer. When you do this, cost is almost negligible. The only cost that you have to consider, you know, is all the uh, forms to be filled in submitted and filed which technically you can try to do it yourself but I would say this this was a very straightforward case for this particular person and you know up front they were very clear they, they knew it was best to just end the relationship and then they spell out all the terms uh, that needs to be agreed by both in terms of maintenance and the kids so so I know it can be done but in reality, most of the time, it's probably safer to engage a family lawyer to help out in this situation. I mean, although it could be a mutual consent to go ahead with the divorce, but sometimes it's just easier to kind of outsource, uh, you know, the, the the process because you know there are many forms to be filled, and then you have to go to the right place to be to submit the paperwork and make sure it's all done properly, make sure no documents are missing. And sometimes it could be wise to just spend a bit more on the lawyer just in case for whatever reason along the road of this process of divorce some complication might occur you just never know so i I would say in most cases it's just safer to just spend a bit more a few thousand ringgit and get advice and uh, assistance from a from a lawyer
1: so better to be safe than sorry i mean unless you really know your way around the processes and of course you know it's if it's an uncontested divorce where the both of you and your um ex-partner uh, are very amicable and have a clear idea of what you are planning to do about it. But um, there's this lawyer cost, there's this court cases cost, processing fee. What are the other costs that you have to consider when you decide to go through a divorce then?
0: Okay, so if you put aside all the the formalities, I guess, uh, you know, of the legal fees and all the uh, court fees and filing fees. Um, I, I, I mean, to me, upfront, what I can think about in terms of cost to either spouse is the post-divorce, uh, right? What what happens then? Because, you know, you, you have to think that you may be married for a short or long time. And then, you know, when you're used to, for example, sharing expenses, and then suddenly you realize, uh, you know, uh, you're actually going to be living on one income. And expenses may rise in that sense. Uh, you know, living separately, the cost of Uh, getting a new place and also settling your own bills. And maybe back then it was a joint account to settle all these um, monthly bills. So this is one course I can think of up front that you you have to also think ahead. When you're going to go for a divorce, you're going to be, well, you're going to be on your own. You have to be independent if you like, you know. And the other thing that could be major to me, which needs to be really considered is looking at like your insurance or takafu. Right. For example, uh, something that needs to be looked at or reviewed is maybe uh, something like a medical insurance where uh, it could be been born by the other spouse before uh, covering, you know, uh, medical coverage or critical illness for both. And then suddenly you realize, no, you actually got to get your own. And depending on the situation and of course the age as you as you get older sometimes getting medical insurance is not going to be as uh, affordable as before. And this could definitely impact your own cash flow, uh, In you know, in terms of cost to deal with, you know? So so I would say it's something maybe you didn't think, I mean, it wouldn't have crossed your mind when you want to end the divorce, but this is something, you know, this is real. Can you manage dealing with bills and, uh, you know, a single income earner? Uh, and also you have to bear in mind the cost of, if there are kids, you know, involved in this process, how are you going to manage the cost? And, you know, in some cases, it could be one of the spouse having to incur more of the, of the burden of the cost for the child. So I would say these are the three main things I would say that you really have to consider in terms of your own cost uh, post-divorce.
1: All right, we're going to take a short break for some messages. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Stay tuned, BFM. Eighty nine point nine. Welcome back. You're tuned in to Ring It and Sense. I'm Sim Boon, and today's topic is divorce. How much it costs? How does it impact you financially? And what do you do if you are deciding on doing this? Joining me to discuss this is Rosanna Rashid. She's a licensed financial planner and director from Alpine Advisory. Now, earlier in the show, before the break, we were touching on her experience on what leads a couple down this path, how much it would cost if you decide to go through with a divorce. What I want to know now is how are they going to split the asset? And of course, I think many of us, the first thing that comes to mind is something like property, right? Do you have a rough idea of what are the couples entitled to if they go to a divorce, especially if they have assets that they own together or have been bought throughout their marriage, right? Like especially the big ones, houses, cars.
0: Yeah, um, it can be tricky. It can get a bit complicated, especially if you know, uh, although the property might be in either spouse's name, uh, but you know both contribute uh, in monetary and non-monetary uh, ways, right? So, so of course. Uh, I would say, you know, if it's gonna be a unilateral, sorry, not a unilateral. If it's a joint petition filing, normally they, it's easier when both agree up front, right? Yeah, it's uh, an it's
1: uncontested bit, yeah. divorce. They
0: both, yeah, right. uncontested. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, uncontested. Yeah. So of course, the complication if if, if it's just you know, <laughs> one person filing it and there's gonna be a lot to contest about. So so yes, it's a bit tricky. I mean, things like property you know uh if the property is even in the, both the spouses name like how do you you know you can't physically cut house into half <laughs> right it's not so easy like uh say if you have stocks or you know cash that you could just split across you know it's easy 50/50 right so the property i would say um i think you really have to have this discussion with the with the other party to see how best especially if you have kids Uh, that you got to think about, you know, how where are the kids going to stay? So normally there has to be some kind of uh, compromise that needs to be made uh, between the two. It may be difficult. It could be the case that it's easier to like sell part of the share of the property to the one staying there. That could be one way to make it cleaner. So of course, you know, working out how much and how it needs to be kind of settled. And I guess that's where the courts also will help you know, if there's a contestation, there are documents for Muslims, for example, that that has uh, we call it Hartas pancharian, which is actually uh, mostly in Malaysia uh, that has been practiced, where it's a declaration uh, made uh, between the spouses, of course during the lifetime of the marriage, where they agree certain things that are in uh, during uh, that are accumulated. Uh, during the marriage is put in this declaration to say, okay, this property or this bank account or this uh, investment account is, is declared as a matrimonial asset. And if anything were to happen in, uh, it may be divorce or even death, uh, it's split across.
1: Is this a prenup? Is this so, considered a prenup?
0: No. Um, prenup is pre-marriage, right? In a way, uh, agreement. Okay, so okay. Uh, yeah, so how to spend sharing is actually during. So you're not exactly addressing assets that were accumulated during... Sorry, before marriage. This is during. This is to address uh during the marriage. Right, right. So it is different <laughs> uh, from a prenup.
1: Okay, okay. So, okay, well, um, you, you know, you were talking about the properties part, right, where you mentioned... Uh, the, the monetary contribution, but there's also the the, uh, the non-monetary contribution, right? And that's where it can get a bit yeah, dicey, yeah. right? Maybe you can a bit expand oh, a bit yeah. on there, right? For the listeners that, you know, yeah, so, you know, me and my partner, we are getting a divorce. I bought the house. It's under my name. Uh, I've been paying for mm. the loan. But when I get yeah. divorced, it's not just as simple as like, oh, since it's my name, I get it, right? There are these other contributions that the, the partner can contest upon, right? Yeah, correct. So to
0: put in a very... Uh, simple context would be uh, maybe uh, the husband, uh, the boy is paying for the mortgage, you know, each month. Uh, and then you may have the wife that is a stay at home housewife, you know, uh, taking care of the kids, for example. So um, obviously when, you know, you're dealing with a wife that it's mostly um, a stay home uh, mother or housewife and, uh, you know, there's a good chance that, Uh, there may not be a monetary contribution on her part, right? Because, you know, she's got, she may not have a steady uh, income, right? So, but her contributions are non-monetary in the sense that, you know, she's taking care of the kids, uh, she is cleaning the house, you know, she's uh, contributing in the the cooking, taking care of the, making sure everything is fine, you know, with the house. And and that's what it means. Like, it's the non-monetary stuff, you know, like... You can't really quantify it, but it, it goes into making sure that the house is fine, making sure the environment uh for the whole family is, is pleasant, you know, all that takes effort, uh, although you can't you can't put it in money and cents terms, you know. Uh, so that, that's what we mean by non-monetary contribution.
1: What about entitlements like alimony and the money that is that is needed to maybe maintain the child in the future, right? How does that work? Is it clearly spelled out on how it would be decided or are there con- other considerations to consider?
0: Yeah, I mean, again, it really depends if it's uh, contested or uncontested. So from what I, I know and experience is if it's uncontested, usually all the terms uh, are all agreed up front you know before they 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 go for the hearing so it's all spelled out so so normally it's 50/50 or whatsoever that's agreed between uh, <clears throat> both the husband and the wife so of course the big issue is is the the one that's being contested obviously so this one i i would say there's no um, rule of thumb uh this is when you know you you know lawyers have to come in and <laughs> st- um help out in terms of working out how much uh, is to be given uh, as alimony and also child maintenance? There's no clear percentage there's, there's no there's no one one figure so it, it needs to be dealt with in the court.
1: Yeah, it's also depending on the financial capabilities of both of them. but what about from the uh, from from a Muslim marriage then are, are there any Sharia law that
0: governs this? In, in the Sharia law, there, there are few th- there are a couple of things that that uh, is a bit different um one of it is um this concept called muta'ah. Uh, it's basically like a consolatory gift uh given by the husband to the ex-wife after the divorce so this it's like a compensation or reward so so this is one um the other thing is this concept called idda. so there's this period where women must observe uh, after a divorce, and also during uh, after the death, okay, just for information, uh, of the spouse. So this is normally about three consecutive months. So that there, that there, there's normally um, a requirement uh, by by the husband to provide maintenance during this time. So these two concepts are a bit different, I would say, and it's of course uh, the amounts are also discussed in court. It also depends on the financial situation.
1: Okay, great. So now we move to one part I think that many of our listeners want to know, how do you then protect yourself before getting married to ensure that in case there's a divorce, right, you don't suffer financially?
0: I think in this day and age, um, you know, where both uh, the man and the woman have a career and income. And most of the time, it could be the case that before they get married, they may have already have assets accumulated or inherited, right? So I, I would say it's quite important, actually no, not quite very important, to maintain some level of uh, financial independence, right? Um, pre and also during the marriage. Um, I would say whatever that's been accumulated prior to marriage is, you know, you should take think about maintaining that autonomy on that wealth right? Because um, there's also some sensitive topics about it could, it could have been something that was inherited. Um, and it, it, it's probably important to remain within the family. So, <laughs> in the event of, a, you know, a divorce, you know, it, it shouldn't be affected, right? So, so, I think that's very important to consider and safeguard. I think maintaining your own bank account is also useful. Buying a property, if you can afford it under your own name, you know, one property, you know, it's just to, so at least you have a backup plan <laughs> in the event the worst happens and you get split. At least you have something under your name. You really have to think about not just maintaining it and also, uh, but also to protect it. And this is when some kind of estate planning can come into play. Uh, there are trust structures that uh, some clients have that need to be, they need to be done just to make sure it's ring-fenced, yeah, so to speak. Yeah.
1: Yep. so like you mentioned right if you're going to inherit something if your dad wants to give you a house in london uh make sure he puts it in a trust <laughs> to give it to you um because you know yeah. uh, or you know if you're going to buy a property buy it before the marriage because like we said earlier right whatever yeah. thing that you yeah. buy during a marriage where even though you are the one putting the monetary contribution if it becomes a contested divorce the yeah. non-monetary uh, contribution is what complicates these issues right we've reached the end of our show that's all the time we have for ringgit and Sense. i've been speaking to rosanna rashid She's is a licensed financial planner and director from Alpine Advisory. Thank you very much for coming on the show, Rosanna.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Sim.
1: Join us again next week for more discussions on personal finance. I'm Sim Weeboon from The Morning Run. We've got the 10 a.m. News bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise, BFM 89.9. Ringgit and cents on BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
0: You have been listening to a podcast from BFM
1: 89.9, The Business Station.